All right, wow, that was awesome. Thanks you so much, Joe Smith. <laughs> That's really your name. All right, we're gonna have some fun. I wanna say, um, let me get this microphone out the stand. Wow, you're strong, okay, cool. <laughs> so, so I'm excited, we're gonna have some fun this morning, like a lot of fun. We got a grip of campuses too, and I like to acknowledge the ones that I can remember. We got Flora Campus, what's up? I see you, when I say your name, I want you to wave at me, because you're in the campus. We got Flora, oh, there's a list. We got Fisher, we got Kokomo, which sounds like something you catch. Um, Westfield, Anderson, we got Greater Lafayette, which is awesome compared to the other part of Lafayette, apparently. Hi, then we got, we got Benford, we got Marlin, Moraine, we got Pie, we got North Put. Where are you gonna put it at? I don't understand what that means. And we got all the prison campuses. What's up, fellas and ladies? Thanks for being a captive audience. <laughs> cool, so we're gonna have some fun, we're gonna laugh, it's gonna be awesome, man. I want you guys to know at all of the other campuses and online, I want you to know that I see you, that I'm, I wanna connect with you, like God is involved with what you're doing right now, the fact that you're even watching this. And then, so we're gonna laugh today, it's gonna be great. And if you don't laugh, it's okay, I already got my check. It's gonna be fine, don't, don't worry about me. It's gonna be just, just fine. Hey, welcome, thanks for getting here. Cool, yeah, the buckets, we already went around, so you're good. Good timing. <laughs> so, in preparation for this, like, I want, I want you to know that, that God loves you. I just, I feel like I should tell you that. Like, he, he loves you. I feel like he wants you to know that, and that's, just wants you to know that. All right, so there's gonna be two verses of scripture that's gonna apply to what we talk about today before I jump into my story and my jokes or whatever. You don't have to read them right now. Trust me, they're there. When I first became a Christian, I remember I went to a church and a dude said, turn to James 4. And then everybody turned to James 4. I'm like, they don't even trust him. Like, <laughs> like he reading it right there. Why don't we just relax? Why we gotta look? <laughs> so Jeremiah 29, 11 is one. Read these later on after we have this experience today and then watch, I think they'll pop in a new way as a result of that. So James, I'm sorry, Jeremiah 29, 11, And then there is John 10, 27. And then there's Revelations 3.20. All of this stuff is going to apply in some way to what I talk about today, and it may change the game for you. So we're going to be laughing in church, which is crazy. Wow. I can't even believe we're going to do that because when I was a kid, laughing at church was illegal. <laughs> you couldn't. One time I laughed. I was seven years old. My grandmother took me to church, and this lady was jumping around, and her wig fell off. <laughs> Yo, I cracked up laughing. Then my grandmother would pinch and twist. I can understand a pinch, you gonna twist? That's the devil right there. That is the devil. By the way, I wrote a book called Funny How Life Works that you can get or whatever. The proceeds are going to a black family in America. So you can get that book wherever you want to. So we decided to do with that. <laughs> it's early, I'm gonna give you a little bit of time to work on that one. Oh, that's so great, a black family in America. Wait a minute, I live next to them. So I'm gonna give you my church experience. From a seven-year-old's perspective, this is what happened for me in church. Like, this is, this is what happened. So I'm seven years old, my grandmother would take me to church, and my clothes were too tight, and my, my shoes are like two or three sizes too small. But it didn't matter, because my grandmother had this thing called a shoehorn. 
If you don't know what this is, basically if your foot don't fit, now it do. The church lasts six hours. Then we would go down in the basement, eat a sandwich, and come back up. Like that was halftime or something. Church was miserable. And I remember walking in, and this dude is up on stage, and he was mad at everybody. And I think he was mad because he had some phlegm caught in his throat. Because at the end of every sentence, he would always try to get it out. He'd be like, the Lord said, ah. act like you this is a black church. Pastor Steve never did that. I just want to throw that out there. Now y'all like, oh, I don't understand. Does he know Steve? I don't understand what's going on. So it was scary. And he had a Bible in his hand. He kept playing like he was going to throw it at people. He'd be like, ah, and everybody would get scared. He'd be like, hey, man, hey, man. I realized now they were saying, hey, man. I didn't know. I was seven years old. One time we went to church. And there's a dead body in the front. Nobody explains to a seven-year-old Michael Jr. It's a funeral. It's not church. I'm thinking, yo, that's how they roll. Like every few weeks or so, they bring a dead body in as some sort of illustration or something. And a dude on stage would yell at us all like we did it. I asked my grandma, I was like, Grandma, what happened to the man in the box? What happened to the man in the box? Her whole explanation was, he in a better place. I'm like, what kind of box did he live in before? Nobody was explaining. It was just a bunch of noise and people screaming. So that stuff was like weird. Church was scary and weird. So at 14 years old, instead of forcing me to go to church, my grandmother did something different. She asked me if I wanted to go. So like she said, hey, you want to go to church? I was like, I got an option. I was like, let me think this over, grandmother. No. <laughs> so I stopped going to church. I was like, I'm not going to church. I just hung out with my friends. And we were broke. We had no money. We were broke. I was actually being sponsored by a family from Haiti. Like, <laughs> that's a funny joke, man. <laughs> no, some Christians don't know what to do with that joke. You can't laugh and shake your head. <laughs> you got to make a choice. When you don't have no money, you get creative. I remember I wanted an action figure when I was a kid. I was no my dad was super creative, right? That dude is just creative. So he hands me a box on my birthday. I open it up. It was empty. He said, it's Invisible Man. I played with that thing for three weeks, man. Till my brother hid it from me. He was jealous. Me and a friend also made a deal around 14 years old that we wouldn't curse anymore. We don't know nothing about God, but we made a deal we wouldn't curse anymore. Here was the plan. If he heard me curse, he could hit me in the chest hard as he wanted to and vice versa. And dude could hit really hard. I stopped cussing immediately. We played other games too. Remember the game Slug Bug? If you're from the East Coast, they call it punch bug. Here's how the game works. If you see a Volkswagen bug, you get to hit your friend. Those are all the instructions. <laughs> but in my neighborhood, they would take this game a little too far. They would add to the game. You ever play uppercut fire truck? <laughs> what about minivan body slam? You ever play that game? There was always one crazy dude in the group who would make up games on the spot, like hit you in the throat tall building. <laughs> you play too much, that's my esophagus. That's just a funny word for me, hesophagus. <laughs> I also noticed around this age that I was struggling with my reading. Now, I knew it before this, but I didn't care because who cares? But now I'm noticing girls and I'm struggling with my reading. I didn't want the girls to know that I was having a hard time reading. By the way, I read fine now, like the signs that are over the doors that say excite. I can read that stuff. 
But I used to struggle with my reading. I couldn't sound words out phonetically. It just didn't work that way. I'd have, to, I'd have to look at the word differently. I'd look at the font size, the color, the positioning, what's in front of it, what's behind it, how people responded to it. I actually came up with seven different ways to look at a word to determine what that word was. Then I got really good at it to the point in high school, people didn't know I wasn't really reading. I was just working it out really, really fast. Now as an adult, I read just fine, but I still have this ability to look at words and people and situations seven different ways almost immediately. In fact, it's the primary place that I pull my comedy from. So that very thing from my past that looked like it was a handicap, it seemed as if I was dealt a bad hand. God didn't cause it, but he's used it in preparation for what he has me to do. It's almost as if I was practicing, even though I didn't know I was practicing. Let me say this again so you can hear what I'm saying. That thing from your past, the fact that you never met your dad before, your parent was an alcoholic, you were molested. God didn't cause that, but he'll use it in preparation for what he has for you to do. Chances are you've been practicing. And maybe someone else needs to hear your story so they can be set free and you can too. You've been practicing. But for a lot of you guys, it's game time. But you have to be able to hear the coach's voice. So now as a result of my practice, I find funny everywhere. In some places, you probably wouldn't even notice it. Like when people ask me questions, kind of weird questions. Michael Jr., where are you from originally? Originally, huh, well, I was conceived in Michigan. Uh, before that, I was with my dad. Um, <laughs> then there's a swim competition, right? Uh, and I won, which is crazy, right? Because currently, I don't swim at all, man. But. I used to be fast. I was like, oh, it was a lot of competition. I was fast. I was, I was, I was. Explain that to the kids later on. So, help them. <laughs> the daughter was like, don't, don't, please don't explain it to me. Don't. I don't need to. I already know. I got it. I got it. 26 years old. I moved to New York City. I need you to track with me. I'm from 7, 14, 26. Why do I move to New York City at this point? Now, because I'm doing comedy. And I'm from the Midwest. I grew up in Michigan, which is awesome, by the way, just being in the Midwest doing comedy because people don't laugh that easy here. Like, we're some hardworking cats, and they're like, look, dude, I paid all this money. You better bring it. I ain't going to just be giggling. <laughs> which really set me up for success. I am so grateful that I grew up in this, in this region. So, but now I'm moving to New York City, and the reason I moved to New York City is because I want to know for sure if I'm funny. Because in New York, if you're not funny, the way they let you know is they'll say something like, you're not funny. <laughs> so there's a comedy club in New York, as I'm living there, there's a comedy club called The Comic Strip Live. And it's really a phenomenal club, but it's very hard to get into for new comedians, like extremely hard. They used to have an open mic on Tuesday nights that started around 7 p.m. Well, comedians who were new in town, like myself, would start lining up at 6 o'clock in the morning in hopes that they could do three minutes in front of the manager in hopes that the next month he would call them back and they don't have to wait in line. It's very hard to get in this club. So it's finally my turn to perform at the Comic Strip Live. And right before I get on stage, this established comedian named George Wallace walks in. Now George Wallace is hilarious, he's a great dude. One of my favorite jokes he does, he says he was in China and he bought a pair of shoes and he looked at the bottom of them and it said, made right around the corner. Now here's the thing, George Wallace is very established. Whenever someone like that walks in, whoever's next gets bumped. I'm next, I know I'm about to get bumped. The manager is already walking over to me. And I'm like, no, but this is where God shows up for the first time in my life. Well, this is where I noticed him. 
So the manager walks over to me and says, hey, Michael, listen, George Wiles is here. Would you like to go on before him or after him? That never happens. You never get an option. I was like, before him, please. So I go on before George Wallace. Like I, get to, I go on before him, and I got New Yorkers laughing. But not only are New Yorkers laughing, he comes in the room, and he's laughing as well. Then after the show, there's a bunch of comedians that are all around him asking him questions. He leaves them, and he walks over to me. And he says, you know what? You're really funny. I was like, oh, thanks, man. Then he said, let me ask you a question. He was like, why don't you curse? I was like, I don't know if my grandmother walked in or something, man. <laughs> my grandmother wasn't coming to New York. What was I gonna say, my friend might hit me in the chest? I'm a grown man. <laughs> so he laughed and he said, you know what, you're funny and you're clean. I'd like for you to do a show with me and my best friend in a couple nights. I was pumped, excited. I didn't know who his best friend was. I get to the show, it's me, George Wallace, and Jerry Seinfeld. I did two shows, I ripped, I got two standing ovations. Like, I ripped, I'm the man, I'm like, yeah. After the show, the club manager approaches me. Different, it's a different club. A dude walks up to me and he says, Michael, you got a great set. I was like, oh, thanks, man. He said, hey, let me ask you a question. Would you like to go to church with me this weekend? <laughs> church, man. We, I just got two stand ovations. Why are you messing this up right now, man? And I, and I thought to myself, man, back up. You're making my feet hurt. <laughs> now, I'm going to pause right there for a second and give some people a nugget who can receive it. Some people won't get this, some people will, but I'm pausing the story to step out. So recently I realized when he asked me that question, I actually did have a sensation, a mental sensation of my feet hurting. And what it really was was a, a negative neural association to, to some pain that I had before while going to church. Because if you remember when I was a kid, I went to church and my, and my shoes were way too tight. And I associated that pain with going to church. So whenever someone would approach me and ask me about going to church or they approach me with a Bible or say anything about God, I'd have a pain in my foot. My feet would start to hurt again from the memory of it. But I wasn't, I wasn't in tune enough to identify that that's where the pain was coming from, so I would assume it was them. I would assume it was the church or the pastor. So as soon as someone would invite me, I was like, nah, back up. I don't care. No, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I didn't even recognize what was going on from the past that was affecting my current situation over and over again. Let's get back to the club. So he asked me to go to church. I was like, nah, I'm cool, man. I ain't going to church. And then 20 minutes later, his fiance asked me the same question, but she was fine. <laughs> Listen, there's only two reasons you do anything in life. There is only two reasons you do anything in life, track any decision you've ever made, and you've done it for one of these two reasons to avoid pain or to gain pleasure, period. I'm gonna stop right there, we can't get on to, into it. You can get the book or something. I ain't even put that in my book, but I get the book anyway. <laughs> so, there's only two reasons, right? So this fiance comes over, she's beautiful, she had this accent. She was like, Michael Jr., would you like to go to church with us? I was like, I was just looking for a church the other day, man. It's crazy you mentioned that, man. I just. So I go to this church for the wrong reasons and I can't even find these people who invited me and I walk in this church and this dude is up on stage and he's talking about Jesus. That's it, he's just talking. Like Pastor Steve and like Kaja. That's your pastor in case you know, Kaja. Like, he's just talking about Jesus. He not screaming, he ain't yelling, he don't got no perm. The dude is just talking about Jesus. And I understood this stuff. And then he did this thing where he did an altar call. And he said, if you want Jesus in your life, all you have to do is stand up and do this prayer. And I'm telling you, I really wanted to. Like, 
yo, I really wanted to, Northview, but I was like, nah, I got to read the pamphlet first. Because I knew a couple Christians, and they was creepy. There's some creepy Christians out there. Even now, I know there's some creepy. If you don't know any creepy Christians, it's you. Yeah. Yeah, your friends know one. Yeah, yeah. So I told myself I'd read the Bible first. Before I get my life over to Jesus, I got to read to make sure there ain't no catch. And you don't have to do this, but I just didn't know. I don't even have a Bible. I go to, I'm at O'Hara Airport a few days later, and this lady just hands me a Bible. We never even exchanged words. She just handed me a Bible and walked off. So I opened up the Bible. First thing I read was the copyrights page. The Bible was made in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Me too. That's crazy. We never, <laughs> we never met before. That's crazy. So I'm reading the Bible and I'm going to church. At this point, I really want to give my life over to Jesus. But I already told myself I'd read the Bible first. So now I'm digging into the Word. I'm digging in. I'm putting in like 12 to 14 hours a day reading the Bible. That was like a chapter a day. Like I was digging in. Like I was. <laughs> so I'm reading and I'm digging. I'm going to church and I get to the part in Matthew where it said Jesus died for me. Yo, I didn't even know on the real. I did not know that Jesus died for me until I was 27 years old. I, had no, I, I didn't know. And then I turned to Mark, and he died again. I'm like, what in the world? <laughs> Luke, and then I get to John. I'm like, why are you going in the garden again, Jesus? <laughs> like, I wish that was a joke. I really thought he died four times, man. I was like, this is. <laughs> so I finish reading the Bible, and I go to church, and I, give, and I, I stand up, and I do this prayer, and I, I give my life to Jesus. And now I understand some stuff. Immediately I started to understand. I, I didn't I don't understand the whole Bible, but I don't even understand a, a whole fraction of the Bible. Like, I just, but I understand that I'm not just funny, like I'm funny for a reason. And it's, my gift isn't even the funny. The funny is the result of the true gift that God has given me, which is a gift of perspective and helping others to change or see or consider other perspectives. So now, with this new understanding, like, wow, God has really blessed me with it, like in a significant way. And I get celebrities, some that you would know who ask me questions about God. Like some celebrity, and they're asking me questions that say stuff like, explain God to me. Well, first of all, I can't just explain God. Like, if you could just fully explain God to people, like you, he's not God, it's you. So, like, remember that dude, by the way, I always just like bringing this story. Remember that dude in Texas a long time ago who said he was Jesus? Like, a dude said he was Jesus, he had followers and everything. This was before Twitter. Like, dude had followers. People was living with him, he said he was Jesus. I looked up a picture of him. Um... He wore glasses. You can't be Jesus and have an optometrist. Like, you can't do both. Like, anyway, I'm going to move on. That's not the point. That's not the point. That's not the point. So people ask me questions about God. Like, how can, one celebrity was like, how is it I can do all of these things that I'm doing? And you know what I'm doing. How can I do all of these things that I'm doing? And there's women in the green room with them, all kind of stuff as we're talking. He said, how can I do all of this stuff? And people still say, Jesus wants a relationship with me. And this is what I said at the time. And it's not even close to how awesome God is, but this is all I could, could explain. Like, so this is what I say. God is like being in a car with a navigation device. You ever been in a car with a navigation device before? You ever been in a car before? We could start there. You guys ever been in a car? Okay. <laughs> It's like being in a car with a navigation device. If it says go 10 blocks and turn left, then you go 10 blocks and turn right. It doesn't abandon what you're supposed to do. It recalculates what you need to do to get to where you're supposed to be based upon where you are. 
The only problem is if you keep making the wrong turns, the road conditions may be different. They may be rougher and you're running out of time. So you have to be sensitive to listen to that voice so you can make the right choice about where you're supposed to be. And that voice sounds an awful lot like a coach because you haven't been practicing for nothing. It's game time. So now, um, <laughs> I'm at that point where I gotta choose the story. Nah, because I don't really have enough time for both stories. I gotta figure out which one I wanna do. So I wrote a joke the other day. Um, I didn't write it. The comedy just kind of shows up for me, but if not, I'll make it up like this next thing. I met a family from Africa who came to America to adopt a white kid. Um, her name was Emily, and uh, they changed it to Ubuntu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They don't know how to do her hair. It's the craziest thing. Did I just get a snort? I just got a snort. That is awesome. That's like a reward for a comedian. That's great. She got a snort. Cool. I felt the oxygen lead as part of the room. Thank you. <laughs> that, is, that is awesome. All right. What's your name up front? Pretty young. Yeah. What's your name? Andrea. Andrea. You got to roll the R when you do say your name. Okay. Andrea. I didn't roll the R. He was like, that's not me. Anyway, so I have a choice between one of two stories that I could tell. I could tell the story about the first time I did The Tonight Show, or I could tell the story about the um, first time I went to prison. I'm gonna let you choose though. Which one? Prison, Tonight Show? Prison. prison. Why you gotta be so dramatic? <laughs> All right, so I have a nonprofit called Funny for the Forgotten, where we go to homeless shelters and prisons and abused children and places, and we take comedy there, really making laughter commonplace and uncommon places. So I go to this, uh, my first time ever in this prison, I walk in and I'm scared, for real. Like, I'm scared. Like, I don't know anything about this. I'm scared. I walk in. First thing that happens is the warden takes my belt from me. He's like, you can't have a belt. Somebody might try to hang you. <laughs> can't they just boo me like regular people? I don't understand. Like, <laughs> I'm in prison. My pants loose. This is a bad idea, man. <laughs> I'm just saying, I got seven different ways to look at this. Like, this is bad. <laughs> so walking into this prison, and I'm scared for Like, I'm scared, and I need to... But I know God is telling me to go in this place. So I'm walking in and I'm scared and I got a bunch of guards around me. There's like eight guards around me. So I'm like, all right, we might be okay. But slowly but surely, I don't know if it's like somebody with a bow and arrow and these cats just start falling off. We get to the last set of doors, it's me and Barney Fife. And this dude is like, hey, this is as far as I go. I was like, me too, man, I ain't going in there. But I know God is telling me to go. So I walk in this prison and there's all these prisoners, they're all on the, on the, they're sitting on the floor. And there's a little hole in the middle of this, all of these prisoners where I'm supposed to walk to and do jokes in the middle. Here's the problem. As I'm walking, I don't have a joke popping up. I have nothing popping up in my head. It's like seven different ways to nothing. I look cool on the outside, and I'm walking all slow, and I look cool. Everything seems great, but I got nothing. Seven different ways to nothing at all. So I got four steps left. I still don't have a joke popping up. Two steps, one step left. I lift this foot up, nothing, nothing, nothing. And as I settle this foot, Sitting right in front is a white dude with a white beard named Moses. I was like, thanks, Lord. <laughs> when I said these words to Moses, the place exploded in laughter. We had an amazing time. I said, Moses, this is what I want you to do. When you see the prison warden, I want you to look him in his eye. You look him right in his eye, and I want you to say, let my people go. <laughs> like, for real. How did I get that joke that fast under that much pressure? 
It wasn't as much pressure as you might think because I've been practicing since I was a child in the form of a kid who was struggling with his reading. I was practicing just like you've been practicing. Maybe you didn't know you were practicing. I'm here to let you know you've been practicing. For a lot of you guys, for most of you guys, it's game time. But you have to be able to hear the coach's voice. I'm going to try to press in this last story even though it may not fit. But it's okay, I got, I'm, I got paid already, it will work out. No, 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 I can do that, I, I know I can. So I leave New York City because it's very expensive and I move to Los Angeles. <laughs> in Los Angeles, my cousin has a couch that I can live on. So it's free. In, in New York, towards the end of it, my address was 1997 Lumina Drive. Yeah, and I happened to drive a 1997 Lumina. So I was homeless, living in my car, but that's a whole other story. That is in the book, the rest of them. Anyway, so I get to Los Angeles, and there's a club there which is the best club in the country, possibly the world. It's called the Comedy and Magic Club. This club is so prestigious, I can't even physically get into the club. Like, I can't even buy a ticket to get into the club. Like, I can't get in. But George Wallace randomly calls me and says, hey, you want to go to the Comedy and Magic Club? I was like, well, yes, I'll leave right now. He said, dude, it's not till Thursday. He's like, that's okay. He takes me to the club. He can't get me on stage, but he got me inside the club. After the show, he takes me into the green room. There's some soldiers in comedy in the green room. There's George Wallace, there's Gary Shanley, and there's Jay Leno. And now I'm in the room with these cats, and they have all of this big spread of food, and I'm just nibbling on french fries, really, because I don't feel like I belong in a room with these guys, even though they had this big spread of food, and I'm hungry in every definition of the word. And at the time, they were working on a joke. Some of you guys may remember a football player got hit in the eye with a flag, and he was suing a league for like $400 million. And now Leno and all of these guys are working on that joke subject for the monologue on The Tonight Show. I ain't saying nothing. I'm just nibbling on french fries. But your gift will make room for you. So they're working on the joke, then they got quiet, and they looked at me, and I was like, oh, snap. This is an opportunity. I was like, all right, let me see if I got this right. He got hit in the eye with a flag. He lost his vision in one eye, and he's suing the league for $400 million. Um, he not going to see half of it. <laughs> then I grabbed a piece of chicken. <laughs> Here's the thing. How did I get that joke that fast under that much pressure? It wasn't as much pressure as you would think because I was practicing just like you've been practicing. Some of you guys practiced through this pandemic. Some of you practiced through having a, some sort of separation with a family member. Some of you have practiced in different ways, losing jobs. You've been practicing and now it's game time, but you have to be able to hear the coach's voice. So me and my wife were looking at some old home videos recently, and we came across this video of our youngest daughter being born. And I'm gonna share this video with you. Um, well, it's not her being born, because I'm not gonna share that video, because then you got a lot to explain. Anyway. Um, <laughs> So let me set this video up for you. I took this video, but I didn't understand the power of it until I watched the video. So it's me, I took, let me set it up. She's, my daughter at the time is like two and a half minutes old. Yeah, that's, I think that's her right there, matter of fact. <laughs> so my daughter is like, she's, <laughs> that's not her, I'm not paying child support for Miranda kid. Anyway. <laughs> so my daughter is like two and a half minutes old and they got her under that little, the little chicken warmer thing that they got, the little french fry warmer. I don't know what kind of insurance we had, but that's what they had her under. Anyway, the, she's, she's laying there, and she's two and a half minutes old, and the nurse is about to clean her up, and she starts to cry. I want you to notice what happens when she hears my voice. 
It's okay, Portland. Look, I'm right here. It's okay. It's okay. I'm right here. I'm right here. We're doing just fine. It's okay. It's okay. I'm right here. Right here. Yeah. It's okay. It's okay, baby. Yo, so that was pretty awesome. Now, now it's like seven, maybe seven and a half minutes or so later. The nurse is done cleaning her up, and she starts to cry again. I speak up, and she stops crying again. But I want you to notice what happens when I tell her I love her. Portland, it's okay. It's okay. It's good. It's good. It's good. I'm right here. I'm right here. I am right here. I love you. I love you. I love you. Yeah, I'm right here. I'm right here. It's okay. It's okay. So listen, there's going to be times in life where you feel like you've been just practicing and practicing and practicing. And maybe you're just, it's extremely uncomfortable for you, even to the point of tears. The key thing to do in those moments is to be still and listen for the Father's voice because he is talking to you. And what he wants you to know is that he's right here. He loves you. All you have to do is open your eyes. You hear some music? Yeah, wait, man, it's, it's not time yet, man. You get us all emotional, man. What you doing right now? Yeah, you're early, man. Hold, hold on, I'm sitting here like, Lord, is that you right now? No, it's that dude right there. Okay, that was, wow, that was smooth. You got us all, man, but you're just a little early. You're just a little early. I got one more story I need to tell, okay? And one more story. This brother all smooth, like, don't, don't, don't. Okay. So I want to tell you a story about having a relationship with Jesus. But first I want to tell you how I came up with the story. So I'm going to tell you how I came up with the story, and then I'm going to start the story, then that dude is supposed to slide in at that point. He, I don't know what you, wow, you're trying to enter, you're not married yet, so you, you're looking, that's what you're doing right now. You're like, hey girl, what's up with you? Anyway, so, so the way I came up with this story, this is a story about having a relationship with Jesus. And the way I came up with this story is I was, I was just writing comedy. I wrote a joke about the good room. Like how many people in here, even watching at the other campuses or in prison, raise your hand if you know what the good room is. See, there's like no hands going up right now because I never finished writing a joke, but the truth is, is mostly all of you know what the good room is. Let me explain. The good room is that room in your grandmother's house or your aunt's house or maybe your house. It's that one room that's better than the rest of the house. Can't nobody go in there. It's plastic on the furniture. The china's located there. It's really just for looks. How many people know what the good room is now? Raise your hand. Exactly. So I'm writing this joke about the good room, and in the middle of writing this joke, God stops me and tells me to tell this story to his people instead of writing a joke. So I'm just going, so I'm going to tell you this story. Right now would be a great time to jump in, dude, if I didn't mean to, didn't mean to interrupt you. Like, let's <laughs> do early and late. That's amazing. That is amazing. So I want everyone in here, everyone at every campus, you're watching online, I want you to imagine, imagine that you are a house. This is a story about having a relationship with Jesus. Imagine that you're a house, and outside of the house is Jesus Christ, and he wants to come in, but he'll never force his way in. He wants you to invite him in. And the reason some people in here right now haven't invited Jesus into the house is because you're cool with the way things are right now, so it would seem. Whenever you need something, 
whenever something happens, you just walk up to the door, crack it open, say a little prayer, and then go back into the house, leaving him outside of the house. But that's not a relationship at all. How can you hear his voice under those circumstances? How can you truly utilize the practice under those circumstances? He didn't cause it, but he'll use it. And the reason you won't let him into the house is because your house is a mess. And you think you need to clean it up first. How's that working out for you? There may be drugs or pornography, or you're just trying to stay extra busy, volunteering, doing all of this stuff, afraid of the silence, just doing whatever you can to be distracted from the mess. Or relationships. You brought other people in the house hoping that maybe they could help you clean it up, but they can't. The only one who can clean it up is standing outside the door wearing an apron with a bucket in his hand, waiting on you to truly open the door. Then there's other people in here right now. You used to have Jesus in the whole house, but whether you realize it or not, you've moved him to just one room in the house, the good room. Have you ever noticed how the good room most of the time is the one right up front with the big window? So when people look in, they think the whole house is clean. But it's not. It's just that one room. So when they hear about you coming to church, they think the whole house is clean. But it's not. It's just that one room. You give money, but it's just that one room. You read the Bible, but it's just that one room. You pray sometimes, but it's just that one room. Jesus wants access to the whole house. And I'm telling you, if you will just open this door and let him in, he'll show up with a contractor named the Holy Spirit. And they will make sure the house is fully functioning the way it was intended to. But none of this happens if you don't open the door. Because he will not. He will never force his way in. Even if other people tried to force him in, he will never force his way in. He wants you to invite him in. So if everyone in here, if you could just close your eyes and bow your head at all the campuses as well, the prisons as well, watching online, close your eyes and bow your head. If you're in here right now, and the reason I ask you to close your eyes is you can have a private moment where no one's looking around. If you're in here right now and you need to invite Jesus into your house, whether it be for the first time or to give him full access to your house again, I'm asking you to do something really simple. On the count of three, I simply want you to put your hand in the air so I, can, so I can identify that that is you. So again, this is for everyone who needs to invite Jesus into their house, whether it be for the first time or to give them full access. Just simply put your hand in the air on the count of three. One, hands are already going up. Two, three. Praise God. Praise God. Good job. Awesome. Okay, go ahead and look up at me. You can put your hands down and look up at me. First of all, let me say this. I am proud of you. Now listen, I'm going to say that statement four more times. But here's what I want you to do. I want because some people in this room, some people listening right now have never heard that phrase from a father's voice before. And I simply want you to work on receiving it from a father's voice. And this isn't just because you raised your hand. This is because of who you are. So I'm going to say that phrase again four times. And I just simply want you maybe for the first time to receive it from a father's voice. I am proud of you. 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 
might ask you to do something else. And this, there's no public speaking involved at all in this, but Jesus says, if you would take a stand for me before man, I will take a stand for you before my Father in heaven. So that's gonna look like right here on earth is everyone who raised their hand at every single campus, every location, everyone who raised their hand and even those who should have raised their hand. On the count of three, I'm gonna want you to stand up and remain standing, right? So, so to help with this, please, if you can't do this in here where we're proud of you, you won't be able to do it out there. When you raised your hand, it was as if you were reaching for the doorknob. But when you stand up and we do this prayer together, it's as if you're blowing the door open so Jesus can come into the house. Now again, this is for everyone who raised their hand and everyone who should have raised their hand. On the count of three, I want you to stand up and remain standing and to help with that, everyone around you, they're going to applaud as loud as they can, but it will not compare to the applause that the angels in heaven will be doing when you stand to your feet and remain standing. One, two, three. Just stand up and remain standing. Praise God. If you're standing, don't clap. Just receive the applause of the people around you. Praise God. Praise God. Keep standing, keep standing, keep standing, keep standing, keep standing, keep standing. Keep standing. If you're standing, don't clap. Just receive the applause of the people around you. I see you, bro. I see you. I got you. God sees all of you at the other campuses. All right. Now here's what we're going to do. Okay, so here's what we're going to do now. Now what we're about to do, keep standing. I know the tendency is to sit down when the applause of men stop. This decision you made is not a horizontal decision. This decision is vertical. This is about you and him, and I don't got nothing to do with them. They'll reap the benefits of you making this decision, but this is about this right here. So here's what we're gonna do together. We're gonna pray together, and we're gonna seal this thing, and then they normally bring out a white dude to make it official. I'm sure he's lurking somewhere. I don't know where he's at, but that's what normally takes place. We're laughing in the middle of a life-changing moment. God is different than you might think. So I'm gonna do this prayer and I want you to repeat this prayer in the privacy of your heart. Dear God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to die for me. Thank you, Lord, for, for being proud of me right where I am, even with all that I've done. Thank you that Jesus died on the cross and rose again on the third day. I believe it and I receive it. Come into my house, come into my heart, and have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, wow. The, the fact that you guys let me be a part of this is blowing me back right now. I just, it's, it's really like, you made a phenomenal, awesome decision. I'm sure there's a white dude rolling up on me right now, pretty soon. Here's what I want you to do. He's gonna give you some instructions on what to do next. So what normally happens at church is you come to church, you listen and you leave. It's the same pattern. I'm gonna ask that you break that pattern. That today you do something a little different. I'm not gonna tell you exactly what it is though. I just want you to break the pattern. One of the things I love to have people do is when we dismiss those people who made this decision, I want you to come forward and just touch the stage, pray with somebody, go to the tables, but I want you to come forward while everyone else is going that way. Why do I want you to do that? I want you to go against the current so you can have a physical representation of what God may call you to even after you leave this building. So while they're going that way, I want you to come this way. Or I want you to do anything different at all. Sit in your chair for a little longer. 
pray for 30 seconds, something different to break what you've always done and let God just minister to you. I love you. I appreciate you. Thank you so much, guys. You can have a seat. Thank you.